Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Luke Peters and I don't deserve a podcast. No, really. Ask anyone, I swear. I haven't done anything. I just graduated from Ryerson's media production program. It's actually one of the best media programs in the country. During my time at university, I made an award-winning documentary, hosted a talk show, and went on a 10-city lecture tour across Europe talking about mental illness. But no, 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 don't listen to what I have to say. Of course not. Why do countless creatives feel this way? Why do they have anxiety and they're plagued for this need for perfectionism, filled with fear and failure and self-doubt? That's what this podcast is really hoping to look at. My name is Luke Peters, and I don't deserve a podcast. This is I Don't Deserve a Podcast, Episode 1. Don't Quit Your Day Job, with special guest... Jude Clausen. So I went into work one day on my day off and I went up to my manager and I said, hey, uh, do you have a second to chat? And he's like, of course, sure. So we went outside and I handed him an envelope and I said, inside this envelope is my two weeks notice. He said, oh, did you find another opportunity? I said, no, no, this is more for personal reasons. I wasn't achieving the stuff I wanted to personally while working at this job. He took a second, looked at me, and he said, all right. Well, I hope that this was an enjoyable experience for you. And I said, of course. I had learned a lot of great skills at this job. And with that... I quit my day job. I quit my day job to pursue media full-time. My first guest is Jude Klassen. She's a member of the Writers Guild of Canada, a filmmaker currently working on her second feature after doing the festival circuit with her debut feature film, Love in the Sixth, an unromantic musical comedy about extinction. That film actually debuted at the Whistler Film Festival in 2015 and had its U.S. premiere in the Chicago International Movies and Music Festival uh, on April 17th in 2016. Recently, Jude has taken part in the Women's and Directors Chair. Jude, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Luke. That was a lovely intro. Thank you. Taken right off your website. <laughs> I thought those are familiar, uh, familiar words. Well, you're a good writer. Obviously, <laughs> made on the show. I write my own stuff. Yeah. So talk to me about the first feature. Talk to me about what it was like making a film. Oh, wow. So the first feature, a very different process than the, my second feature, which I'm currently working on. But for the first feature, it was basically a decision to make a film that just kind of hit me on the bus downtown in the middle of winter to see um, my now co-producers on the first film, The Butler Brothers. They made a film for a thousand bucks, allegedly. You know, it was a thousand dollar film festival and they made a film called Morning is Broken. And they did a great job. And I just thought it doesn't have to be you know, all the bureaucracy and applying for funding and then, you know, shot lists. And <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm doing that. You didn't route. do a shot list for your film? <laughs> I didn't do, but not for my first one. Oh, my God. It's a, that's all changing, baby. That's okay. all changing. But I, I'm an improv artist, improv comedian back in the day. 
So I like spontaneity. I really love Christopher Guest films, mm-hmm. you know, where they have the the storyline, but the dialogue is actually improvised. Yeah. I did write dialogue. I did write a script. But, you know, it was one of those, yeah, this location is okay, but across the street looks better. Let's shoot over there. Let's change it up. And I managed to convince a lot of people, uh, my DOP, Rob McGee, Jeremy Gilbert, my second cameraman. um, I convinced all these people to uh, volunteer to work on my feature. And it took us about a year to shoot everything. And um, my daughter plays my daughter in the film. And all the people that I write music with, uh, TC Folk Punk and Asher Ettinger, my co-composers, we were writing these political satire. uh, Well, Asher and I were uh, as my Tasha James character. Those went pretty viral. So I just used basically the same process, the same people who worked on my little music videos and my entertainment interviews um, became my crew and some of them my cast <laughs> yeah so you kind of build like almost like a support system of people who you kind of trust and enjoy working with and then that kind of carries over to your professional world and then when it starts working it works because you have these relationships with these people exactly yeah you treat people with respect which is something we can talk about that you don't always get in in a straight job uh, but yeah if you if you have people invested in your vision You've got to respect that they're giving you their time and their energy and their ideas and um, just be really grateful and feed them well. (laughs) I had really good food on my (laughs) sets and uh, magical shit happened, like impromptu scenes, like something amazing happened almost at every single shoot. Uh, And the Butler brothers um, stepped in and they offered to edit the film and then they became more heavily involved as uh, co-producers and actors. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing thing. Like there are some amazing performances in it. Uh, Wendy Sinclair is like incredible. And she's you know, she works at Tuesday Afternoon Media. She does like a straight job. She's also a visual artist, et cetera. But she played my best friend in the movie. She turned out to be like a choreographer. Like all, everyone has all Everything these works talents. Out. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you're talking about the second feature and I want to hear a little bit more about the process and how it's changed, but you contributed to CBC. Talk to me about that. Oh yeah. Uh, so uh, I contributed to definitely not the opera back in the day with uh, Su Kien when she was doing the show. Yeah, that was really fun. That was my my first. I love radio. Mm-hmm. I love podcasts. I'm just a podcast junkie. Uh, but that was my first foray into uh, radio. And uh, basically, I I did some on air pieces. They were all funny and poignant and my my usual stuff. I did one about, oh, my favorite piece was probably, uh, I don't remember what they called it in the end, but I called it Priority Post. And it was about found objects that they always had a theme to their shows. Mm -hmm. And so the found and then you would pitch an idea and you may or may not get the get the gig. Yeah. So I got the gig. Uh, I was going through after I split up with my ex, um, I was going through the basement, like all our stuff. And I came across this love letter. Well, breakup letter from, you know, 
12 years earlier or 15 it was it was ages ago and it was a priority post package that I had never opened because I knew it would be too too painful (laughs) and I really really loved this man um but it I had to oh I'm writing about it now he was a very alternative person let's just yeah he's the gentleman criminal uh so I had to break up with him for myriad reasons and it was really it was the hardest thing I ever did and he sent me this he was really angry and he when I did finally open the package so I opened like years it. later yeah like 15 years later 15 years yeah. later. <laughs> and the funny part was that it was priority post he had he had a like priority posted it to rushed me it for with this, 15 years with this urgency <laughs> and i'm like i can't read this because it's gonna hurt and he's so angry at me and it went on about how much he loved me and how much he hated me and and amazing things about me and then like things like i you know you think you think you're a writer you think you're an intellectual you read Anne rice novels <laughs> And so I found it kind of hilarious. And I was like, I don't even remember reading it. <laughs> that sounds almost out of one of your songs that you showed me. <laughs> it totally was. I mean, it was so funny because he was telling, basically telling me I was, you know, I was pretentious and um, I was basically reading, you know, like popcorn porn, you know, and yeah. rice, you know. Um, I did like those books. Okay, I admit it. They were good for certain things. They got you through the day. <laughs> or for night. Those, for those cold nights. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, we'll leave that they alone. They filled the bed. <laughs> so that was my first... No, that wasn't my first. That was like my third or fourth DNTO piece. But I wrote about Handyman. Mm. I wrote about unresolved sexual tension in television, Erst, and why you need it. And um yeah it was really you, you really fun a lot from your life i pulled a lot from my life yeah that's, that's what it's there for and that's actually kind of what we wanted to talk about today is what is the life of someone who's working a day job and like going into that creative field and so the first question is what are what do you find are the positives of having like a day job in the media industry like uh, a job that's not attached to your industry Uh, There are a lot of positives and I often think of um, when I, I either read an interview or listened to it, but before your time, there was a film, you know, the film seven. Yes. So that was this huge hit. The guy who wrote it was working at some horrible factory and he wrote it while he was on the subway to work. And because he had this job that was kind of mindless, he was able to completely focus on his script on the way to work. It was like he was covering his ass, he was covering the rent, and he was focused on this script. So if he had been, say he was working as a writer in an advertising agency or something, he wouldn't have written that script. You don't have the creative energy. That's right. You've, you're tapped out. You've given your writing energy to your day job, and you just don't have any left for your artistic pursuits. So For your real job, as it were, kind of That's thing. right. And that really sat with me, that that interview. I really thought about it because at the time I was a journalist. I was doing all the, I was interviewing other artists and promoting their films and TV shows. And, and I loved that. I loved yeah. doing that. There's a, there's an art to that. And there's, it's definitely was fulfilling in a certain way. But when I was doing that, it was really hard for me to 
actually be a writer myself and actually create stuff for yourself. Yeah. And I find that, you know, selling computers, um, well, for one thing, it's a great way to meet people. Yeah. So me and Jude work for an undisclosed or used. Oh, my God. Used. I used to work for. Oh, and, we miss you. Oh. And Jude still works for an undisclosed uh, yeah. computer company in the grand old city of Toronto, Ontario. Yes, I and do. yeah, you're totally right. You meet a lot of characters <laughs> in that space and you work with a lot of characters and you have a lot of different personalities that you deal with every single day. Do you think that you draw a lot from the job, like in regards to dialogue, in regards to story ideas? Definitely. Yeah, I've always used my life for fodder. And when you when you're writing all the time and you're in your house, um, I was freelancing for a long time. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have all these rich experiences to draw from. It was just sort of my immediate friends and family. But having a job, especially at a computer store and service place, because people come in and it's super dramatic. Like there's drama inherent in in that store like think it's of like a- act two of every film is what we don't see act one act one <laughs> it's like fade in you come to your computer and the cat's there and there's a cup of water to the side you know what's happened act two <laughs> is you get to the store and like it's already happening you know and that's what we get to experience so it's great it's great for that yeah <laughs> and it's sort anyway. of like people see us as you can save me and if you can't I'm really angry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they, like, it's very much like a blame game where it's like, if you solve it, then it's like, great. Like, here, can I grab you a copy or something like that? And then if not, I'm going to write you an angry uh, Yelp review. Oh, you know? God. It's so much like that Black Mirror episode with the... Uh... Uh, nosedive <laughs> yeah oh yeah 100 percent. 100 percent. oh my god can you imagine we have like little name tags that have our like ranking <laughs> well i mean not to sidetrack too much that's why like um jobs where it's like on commission uh, uh freak me out so much like oh yeah there's another there's a a phone brand store in the eaton center they have a big wall I mean, obviously not for the customers to see. It has the ranking of who's doing the best selling. It's like, oh my God. if you're at the top, you feel great. But like anywhere <laughs> else, you're just a mess. I think it's, it's like... only good for number two because number two <laughs> wants to be number one. And number one's like just so pompous about it. It's very Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. I think of that. I think of that play often. Yeah. There's always like a salesman came in the other day. And he was totally Jack Lemon and Glengarry Glenn Ross. <laughs> he was just like, I'm pretending to talk about this, but I'm really trying to sell you this. Yeah. And it was just like, it was me and our colleague, Colin. Can I say that? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you said it. <laughs> yeah, we were just kind of kind of looked at each other sideways like, okay, we know what this is. And um, it was just like, it was kind of adorable. Yeah. We did a little song and dance. Well, I think the funniest thing is like, even when I was working there and, and to be honest, if it got any worse, I'd probably be fired. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad I, I left on the terms I did. I was selling myself so hard to the point of like confusion to the customers. They're like, are you working here? Or are you just poaching customers? <laughs> like well, I was still getting paychecks. And I was just like, I love the job. It was great. But it's like, you're at a computer store. You're not going to find another pool as big of creatives because creatives use computers and they're always coming in. It's like, I'm working on the documentary. It's like, well, I worked 
worked on a documentary. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I checked it out. And then it goes back and forth, back and forth. I think it's really funny because of that. And it can lead to, I mean, I've met a lot of, um, I've had a lot of meetings and things come out of selling someone a computer and getting into a d- deep discussion with them and finding out, oh, you're an exec at... Insert company. Insert company. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's been, it's been amazing. And, you know, uh, I did a one-on-one session with, I think it's okay to say I I did a one-on-one with Rick Mercer Mm. and, um, he, uh, I told him that I was showing him final draft and I told him about my movie, um, my, my second feature, which at that point was called, uh, theoretically sentient. And he's like, what, what kind of title is that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then he said, ah, oh, yeah, there's this other film with this really pretentious title. Um, I was like, oh, my God, I'm dying. <laughs> and then he saw Stupid for You, like one of the songs from yeah. my movie on my desktop. He goes, oh, there's your title. I was like, yeah, that, that, that would be better. And as soon as he left, I bought the domain for Stupid for You. And that's my film. Oh, now. my God. I was going to say, because I, <laughs> I remember theoretically saying, and I'm like, oh, it's just such a cool science fiction film. And you're like, well, and we got into a heated conversation <laughs> about what it meant to be science fiction. And I'm still going to have that conversation with you. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was like, it's a, it's the, it's still in the movie. It's the name of the, so it's about us. Uh, a 17-year-old girl who's in love with another 17-year-old girl who's the super it girl of this of the high school. Mm. Um and then she and her mom her mom had a punk band. Okay. And the punk band was Polyamorous Diatribe. Of and there <laughs> of course. And there's another great story to that title, but we won't get into that now. Um and theoretically sentient is their big hit. It was the mm. the song that everyone knew, and that's why I called the um, film film theory. theoretically sentient, just because I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And it is. I think the thing is, is like it depends on the audience, right? I think that theoretically sentient is like a really cool like cult classic film, where stupid for you might be a little more like an awesome multi million dollar generating. St- sit uh rom-com yeah 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 no that's <laughs> it's, it's exactly kind of what it a is. it's kind of a queer pretty in pink now. i love that that's the best <laughs> that is i want i just i think you should call it pretty in pink queer though that'll be great <laughs> queer I, pretty in pink <laughs> yeah i mean take it um so we've kind of talked about who you are and kind of what you've done and the job that you're working at right now um but i think the big question that anyone who's listening to this is is why you have such a huge depth of work behind you you're maybe not like a household name but a lot of people would (laughs) know of your work um maybe not by name but would know of your work have listened to your work online or uh on tv um so what what keeps you at the job? What what keeps you away? And I know that's a hard question to ask, but no, it's pretty pretty simple. Um, pay the mortgage. Uh, yeah, because like I was like we were discussing earlier about the the guy on the subway working at the factory who wrote Seven. Mm. Sure, I could have. Uh, I could probably get a get a gig in a writer's room, which, you know, I wouldn't sneeze at. Uh, if you want to hire me, I, I, I'm open to talking we'll about it. We'll link everything in the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I really want to do, I really do have a vision 
and I really want to express myself and I want to do something relevant. Uh, and it's just, you just don't get that high from uh, even, I don't know, selling out is a bit dramatic, but just even if you just like ah, compromise a bit, yeah, it's it's just not the same. And so this allows me because I'm not independently wealthy and I, and I am a single mom. And, uh, so I'm willing to get up at six every morning and write for two hours before I go to my day job. And my day job gives me that security blanket. Yeah. So I don't fret and I'm able to actually focus because I know I'm taking care of just paying the basic bills and then I can get creative and I don't, I have a job I don't have to take home with me. Yeah. Uh, and I so. think that's the big thing with it. It's like if you're in an advertising firm or if you're in an editing suite and a project isn't done, you don't just go home, you finish it. You yeah. have to put in those long hours. You have, I, I, I wish I had the, the exact number in front of me, but you have so many people who are burnt out in the advertising agency um, when I was audition or auditioning, interviewing <laughs> to work like in advertising, it's like, are you sure you're cut out for it? And I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, oh, we just asked that question to everyone. And I'm like, really? That's such an interesting thought that you have to ask every single person who you're hiring. Do you think you're cut out for this? And I think that that's the same with the film industry and with a lot of those base jobs. It's like, if you don't love it and you're putting in those long hours, it'll, it'll like, it'll kill you. Yeah. I'll eat you alive. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So, so that's basically the thing is just like having that security, that safety blanket. Um, you mentioned your daughter. Yes. The lovely Mika K. Mika K. So Mika was in your first film. Did you find any, because you're a mom and you're also, you're the writer, not the director, correct? Both. Both. Yeah. Writer and director. Did and you, producer. <laughs> and you were, st and you starred in the film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I co-wrote all the songs <laughs> and I cooked all the meals. Oh man, working hard. Um, and I held the boom. Did you? Um, oh my god, that's the worst job. <laughs> uh, did you find it hard to um, work with, like, it being your daughter? Did you have to kind of separate, almost like church and state, as it were? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I didn't separate at all. Uh, so I, I created the movie on the heels of a really uh, heavy breakup with my mm. boyfriend at the time, uh, who was a musician and my daughter, uh, she saw me, you know, trying to put on a brave face, etc. She was little when we started making, well, she was 11 when I started making the movie. Um, so we, we played ourselves for the most part and, um, we sing together. So we have a pretty poignant, beautiful, um, song that we sang in Castles Park. Uh, and it was just, it was really an exploration of the depth. Like we have a very deep relationship. She's very artistic and intellectual and mm -hmm. she's always been this amazing person. Uh, so the film was really around, you know, this uh, try, well, it was an enviromantic comedy. So a lot of it was about the, what we're doing to this, to the, the planet and that, the world yeah and then then bringing our kids kids up and trying to give them kind of hope and optimism for the future and um a lot of it was around that and it was during the harper era so um 
I was feeling a little bleak. Mm. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was very, um, it was a very deep emotional ride for both of us. And, um, she's a natural actor and, and an amazing singer. So, uh, it was, it was fantastic to, uh, to do all that, you know, with her and she enjoyed it too. So hopefully she will be playing, reprising her role in, in my next movie. Oh, she'll be playing the same character. Yeah. So the same characters are in, uh, the, it's not really a sequel. It's same universe kind of thing. Same universe. Um, same main characters, Danny and Kat, although it's more, the first film was the mom's primarily the mom's story. And now we're more to the kid. Yeah. Now we're more to the teenagers. That. That's really cool. Yeah. And the mom's still spinning out of control and, uh, it's a great, it's a great part. I don't know if, if I'll play it or if depends on the budget, because if, if, if we end up getting some big <laughs> deal, which could happen, um, yeah. uh, they'll, they'll want to, they'll want like a, a real star. Um, but I think, you know, the Mika, she, she, we already recorded the title track, Stupid for You. Yeah, it's and really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, she sounds fantastic. And I think she would be, she would be my pick if I, if I have control over that. So yeah. here's hoping. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cause, cause I've, I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces of the film. I haven't watched it in its entirety yet. Um, but there was a scene that we were chatting about, um, today and actually on the job as well, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> about, um, you, you smoke, uh, weed in the film. Yeah. Just in the film, <laughs> just that one time, just the one time for the theatrical. <laughs> and you were telling me about, oh, yeah. um, the, uh, about Meek asked you about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. So, yeah, when I was shooting the movie, she was just, you know, she was 11 years old. And um, there's a scene where uh, with Wendy Sinclair plays Mavis, my my character, Danny's best friend. Mavis shows up to take Danny out dancing. They're supposed to be going out and having a good time. And Danny's still in her pajamas and she looks like crap and she's drinking and she's, you know, lights a lights a pipe and basically blows the smoke into Mavis's mouth and forces her to have a super toke. And, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty great scene. And we, we kept re take, doing different takes and we were drinking wine and we were smoking. weed. <laughs> and, um, and when Mika saw it, she was like, Oh, so what did you use for the pot? Like what, what did you put? How did you get pie? such a realistic high? <laughs> what did you put in the pot? And I was like, oh, I don't want it. It's not time yet. We're not, I'm not ready for this conversation. Yeah, at 11 years old. That's a little Yeah, early. and I was just like, no, I don't want anyone calling child services here. Um, so, and I mean, she wasn't watching the, she wasn't there on set or anything. But when she saw the movie afterwards, she was like, so what did you use for the pot? And yeah. I was like, um what do you want for dinner? I don't, I can't remember I what I said, <laughs> but I avoided the, I avoided answering her. And, um, she now understands, you know, that, yeah. Yeah. No, the, the big reason I wanted to ask that is like, do you find yourself having to have, I guess not necessarily, a a sped up interaction as a mother, but do you find that 
through the film world, you have to have these conversations earlier, like in regards to like relationships and stuff like that. Maybe. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'm, I'm not sure what, what, uh, <laughs> other people do. Um, I mean, I think we all have to kind of deal with this when kids are, you know, preteen. I find the most interesting aspect of being a parent where you're kind of straddling these two realities because life is so much different for like people in their early 20s. Yeah. So, yeah, because I think it's very interesting to think about that. Like, obviously, I'm, I'm very young compared to um people who have like kids and everything like that like i think because you have the job and because you are looking at this very strategically do you find that you're not taking as many risks as you used to in regards to the media industry well there's a lot more at stake and it is definitely um i can i can get a bit anxious about it um but I'm, I'm, I actually find it really exciting and um, I feel like, okay, it's time to take myself seriously. And being in Women in the Director's Chair, uh, that was a really amazing experience that I just currently went through this mentorship program, uh, Women in the Director's Chair, and it's uh, very, um, very hard to get into it. Uh, and when you do get in, there's like eight women directors and you become this little family. Um, we're all in contact almost every day still. And the mentorship through that program, they realize that, you know, women have a hard time, um, taking themselves, not taking them. I, a lot of women take themselves seriously, but a lot of us suffer from imposter syndrome. Yeah. And, uh, just having that, that stability of that room to, you know, we worked on our scenes with these amazing actors. We worked with story editors and acting coaches and, um, it was just, it was incredible. Um, and it really gave me the push I needed. Like it really made me focus on writing a really good script and it made me focus on, yeah, I have to get up every day, two hours early, and focus on my goals. Um, and I, yeah, I'm really grateful to uh, Carol Whiteman and everyone who put that together because, yeah, it was a life changer for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, you kind of led us right into the last question of the episode for women who are feeling that imposter syndrome that that anxiety that depression that uh perfectionism because that's another side of it. it's like you can make all this work but you don't feel like sharing it because it has to be perfect and that fear of failure is there any advice you can give it to for women specifically who are dealing with imposter syndrome oh my god stop worrying about what people think about you it doesn't matter ignore the haters soldier on just put stuff out there put right? stuff out there Put your stuff out there. You know it's good. And there are people who believe in you. There always are. And focus on them and focus on, you know what? I woke up today and I did this kind of weird thing <laughs> Okay. where I, I was in my kitchen and I, I was noticing objects and I was like, oh, Laura gave me that. Oh, Patty gave me that. Oh, Jennifer gave me that. <laughs> And I realized I had surrounded myself with um, objects 
and that friends had given me. Um, and there was something from everyone and not all women like, you know, Oh, that's that little painting Asher did for me. Oh, that's that poster TC got framed for me. And that, and I just thought, you know what? I have people in my corner and I am super grateful for that. And with that, you know, you got people have your back. You can just do it. You know, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not Thank alone. you so much. This has been episode one of I Don't Deserve a Podcast. Hopefully, maybe I deserve a podcast a little bit more after this great <laughs> you conversation. You <do>. Thank <laughs> you so much to my guest, Jude uh, Kleslin. Uh, where can people check out your stuff? I'm Jude Clausen, and you can find my film, my first feature, Love in the Six, in Canada on Canada Screens, video on demand, and in the UK and the US as of this week. Uh, we are on Amazon Prime, video on demand. So, yeah, check me out there. And, and um, um, any vague idea when we'll see the next film, like two years, three years? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, I hope. I hope I get to make it in 2019 or early 2020, but I guess we'll see because, um, coming soonish, coming soonish. Thanks so much, Jude. Thank you, Luke.